of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Bereshit in the Hebrew. Amen. Praise the Lord. I love the book of Genesis. It, it is just so full of spiritual truth. Of course, it's the seedbed of, of Scripture. It's where things began. Doctrines, the beginning of doctrines, so on and so forth, and creation of the heavens and the earth, and so many things in the book of Genesis that, that teach us about God. And I want to know about God, don't you? I don't want to just know about God. I want to know God. But I'm excited about the book of Genesis this morning. So let's go over into the 35th chapter in verse 1. And we covered this just a little bit on Sunday night, but we will go back over it. Amen. So, 35.1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. They gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. They journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because their God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. The name of it was called Arlon Bachuch. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, or El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had talked with him, even a pillar of stone. He poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. They journeyed from Bethel. And there was but a little way to come to Ephrata. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. Came to pass when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrata, which is Bethlehem. 
And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave, unto this day. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you, Lord, for your mighty presence. Lord, we draw near to you. Lord, you said if we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. And Father God, let there be no distance between us and you today. God, we do draw near to you by your Spirit right now. We thank you, God, for your mighty word. We ask that your will would be done in and through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. In the previous chapters, we saw Jacob go over uh, to Shechem. Now, you remember Shechem is Sychar in the New Testament. That is where the woman met Jesus at the well of Jacob. Uh, and while Jacob was in Shechem, the Bible tells us there were many problems that took place in Jacob's life and in his family because he was delaying concerning the will of God. Uh, Shechem was in the land of Canaan, but he was still not in the will of God because there was a lot of idolatry in the land of Shechem and uh, Jacob should have been moving on. But as a result of that, staying in Shechem for about 10 years, we have a bloodbath in the 34th chapter that took place because Dinah was raped by Shechem uh, while they were there. So Jacob had many, many problems because he was out of the will of God. Many, many problems because he delayed his obedience to God. And uh, so the Bible tells us in chapter 35 and verse 1, after these horrible events in Jacob's life, God speaks to him. In verse 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel. Amen. You know, when I look at the life of Jacob and I see the turmoil that his life was in at this time, the trouble that he was in, the problems that he had brought upon his family because of the decisions that he had made, to delay in moving into the will of God. And then we see in this verse, we see God coming and speaking to him. The first thing we need to understand by this is that when our lives are all fouled up, have you ever been in that place? Don't lift your hand. Have you ever been in that place where your whole life seemed to be fouled up? Everything is falling apart. There's a lot of trouble in your home. There's trouble in your life. There's problems everywhere. Everything is a mess. And not just the things around you, not just the problems or whatever you're dealing with, but you're a mess. And if you've ever been in that place where you are a mess, then we need to learn from the Bible. Because we see here it's not a psychologist that you need. It is not a psychiatrist that you need. It is the Word of God that you need. And a lot of times when your life is all fouled up, you got so many problems in your life, you start thinking, you know, I need somebody to straighten me up. I need a psychologist. I need a psychiatrist. You don't need a psychologist or a psychiatrist. You need the Word of God. And so when Jacob's life was fouled up because of his disobedience to God, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He wasn't complete as a result of those problems. Now, I don't, we, we don't want to hear this, you know. We don't believe it, but it's still the truth. Amen. Amen? That our lives can be fouled up and messed up because of our disobedience to God. Because we're delaying what we should be doing in God. And Jacob did that for about ten years in Shechem. Can you imagine being ten years surrounded by idolatry and 
all of these troubles and problems, a bloodbath has just broken out by uh, his sons killing Shechem and Shechem's dad there. It was a mess. And it didn't have to be a mess. Look at your neighbor and help me preach. Tell him it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be a mess. And I'm telling you today, your life and your family doesn't have to be in the mess it's in. It doesn't have to be that way. It's just a lot of times the decisions that we make it put us in those places. And God doesn't want our life to be a mess. He doesn't want our life to be full of problems. He doesn't want us to be full of problems. But that's the way it's going to be if you and I are out of the will of God. And I'm not preaching down to you. I'm just telling you that's the way it is for all of us. If we're not where we need to be in God, we're going to have problems. And God can use those problems and those troubles to put us back into His will. Because at some point in your life, you get tired of it and you say, I'm done. I'm not living like this anymore. But a lot of times when people say, I'm done, I'm not going to live like this anymore, you know what they do? They start thinking about divorce. They start thinking about getting a new wife or a new husband or a new job or moving off to another location, making a geographical relocation. All these things start coming in a person's mind. Maybe making a church relocation. You know, I need a new church. I need a new wife. I need a new husband. I need a new job. I need a new town. But I'm going to tell you something. That's not the answer. God's been trying to get your attention for a long time. And so He allows troubles to come in my life and in your life to get our attention so that we will be ready when He comes and speaks that word into our life that says you're in the wrong place. You need to go to Bethel. And Bethel is not just a physical location. It's an experience with God. It's where Jacob met God when he first fled from Esau approximately 30 years ago when he was running for his life. And that's where God met Jacob many, many years ago. Now Jacob's made his way back home and after 30 years, again about a 10-year delay, 20 years in Padanaram with Laban, and then another 10 years delay in Shechem. Now, 30 years later, here he comes back. He finally makes it back. And the Bible says he goes to Bethel because God tells him to. And the word Bethel is the house of God. It's the house of God. So we have to have the Word from God when our lives are messed up. The Word of God is the answer. And then what He will tell you to do is go back to Bethel. Get back to the house of God. See, sometimes you got to go back before you can go forward. A lot of people never think about that. They just keep forging through. They just keep pressing on. And they move from one problem to another problem, one trouble to another trouble, like Jacob did. And then God says, you know, really what you need to do is you need to get back to the house of God. You need to go back before you can go forward. You need to return where you departed from God. You need to return to the house of God. You departed from the house of God. You need to get back. Hallelujah. And when you go to Bethel, God says, when you get there, He says, make you an altar. Don't just go to church. Are y'all with me? You act like you're, you don't believe me. That's okay. I'm going to keep preaching to you. 
I'm just saying it again because I feel it in my spirit. If you look at your life, you say, I'm messed up. My life's messed up. I'm full of trouble. I have problems all the time. I'm always making the wrong decisions. I'm going to tell you something. The answer is to get yourself in the house of God. It's to get into the house of God and hear the Word of God. You don't need drugs. You don't need a psychologist. You don't need a psychiatrist. They're only going to pump you full of drugs, more drugs, more drugs, and make you crazier than you already are. So you need to get in the house of God. You need to have a personal revival. See, God is, God is calling Jacob to a personal revival. And He says, you've got to get back to church. You've got to get back to the house of God. Amen? But make sure when you go to church that it's truly a house of God. Because there's a lot of churches that are not the house of God. We call this church. I'm going to church. I'm going to the house of God. Well, when you come here, you better pray it is the house of God. Because there's a lot of churches that are not the house of God. They're just buildings where people gather, where people meet. Amen? Where they go to have a social relationship. So God tells him by a word. You want revival in your life? You want a personal revival in your life? Get a word from God. You want a personal revival in your life? you got to go back to where you departed from God. You gotta pick up your relationship with God once again. Get back in the house of God. And when you find the house of God and you hear the word of God, then you need to build an altar. The Bible says, God told him when you go to Bethel, he says, you're gonna dwell there and you're gonna make an altar there. That speaks of worship. Worship by sacrifice. When you come to the house of God, when I come to the house of God, it's not just so that we can just sit down. Because everybody here in this service, including this pastor, needs a revival. We need a personal revival. But you're in the right place. You're here today. You're in the right place. You're going to hear a word from God. You're in the right place. But when you come, make an altar. Don't just come and sit there. Amen? There's just something about pew setters that bother me. Because normally if you're a pew setter and you can't get yourself off of that pew, and you can't worship God, you can't seek God, there's something wrong with your personal relationship with God. When you come to the house of God and you hear the Word of God, you should build an altar. You should build a place where you're worshiping God, where you're seeking God. And an altar speaks of Jesus Christ. He's the true altar. And when you come to the house of God and you hear the Word of God, Amen, you're going to find Jesus there. He's the true sacrifice. And when you worship, you worship by Jesus. You worship by the true sacrifice. And sometimes you need to understand it's a sacrifice to worship. That's why the Bible says when you enter into His gates, you're to, you're to bring a sacrifice of praise. That means you've died. When you don't feel like worshiping, you still worship. So when your life is fouled up and it's full of trouble, it's full of problems, you make your way to Bethel, the house of God. And when you get there, you listen to the Word of God. And you worship God. You give yourself to God. You build an altar. You bring a sacrifice to God. You present it to God. You don't just come and sit there. The prophets, you know what the prophets said? It says, when you come, come into the presence of God, don't come empty-handed. The prophet said, when you come into the house of God, Bring some words with you. Don't come as a mute. Amen. I was driving to church this morning, you know, and I thought about this. We got too many mutes in the kingdom of God. 
I'm not talking about physical mutes. I'm talking about spiritual mutes. They don't say anything. Amen. You need to say something. You need to bring some words with you. I need to bring some words with me. I can't come into the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords empty-handed. So when I come to the house of God and hear the Word of God and I start worshiping God, I bring some words with me and, and I don't come empty-handed. I'm going to have a personal revival. And you watch what's going to happen. Your life is going to turn around. That mess is not going to be a mess very long. That fouled up situation, it's going to change. God can change it. God can change it. But no psychologist is going to change you. No psychiatrist is not going to change you. They've been trying to change you for years. They still haven't been able to do it. Only God can change me and only God can change you. But you're in the right place this morning. If you want a personal revival, if you want your life to change, amen? Look at your neighbor and help me preach again and say, I'm hoping for change. Then you've got to do something about it. You've got to get up. You've got to go to the house of God. Not just physically, but spiritually. Amen? And when you get there, you're going to build an altar to God. Praise the Lord. Now the Bible tells us as we go through here, who is this God that's speaking to him? They told him to go to the house of God, Bethel. Amen. To make an altar there. It's the God that appeared unto him when he fled from es the face of Esau, thy brother. Now you come in here today and you don't know why. You know that you should give yourself this way and worship and praise unto God. Why? Why? Well, why should I go back to Bethel anyway? Why should I go to church? What am I going to find when I get there? You understand what I'm saying? I'm starting to feel all right now. You get that in your mind. You know, well, what, what am I going to find at church, you know? Why am I going to church? Well, if you need to be encouraged, then you need to look at what we see in the Bible here. It says that God is the one that appeared unto him when thou fleddest from thy face, Esau, thy brother. Amen? God is the one that has protected you, Jacob. God is the one that has blessed your life. When you were running for your life 30 years ago, it's God that met you there. Amen. You saw that ladder with angels descending and descending upon that ladder about 30 years ago. God met you there. That's why you called this place Bethel. So if you need encouragement this morning to worship God, remember with gratitude what God has done for you. Amen. Remember what the Lord has done. What God has done for me. What God has done for you. And so he points Jacob back to the past. He says, this is what... Remember, I'm the God that met you. I'm the one that preserved your life when Esau was trying to kill you. You ought to bring some thankfulness with you. You ought to be thankful to God for what God has done for you. Amen? But he preserved his life. And then he goes down in verse 3. I'll come back to verse 2 in a moment. He said... Jacob said, let us arise and go up to Bethel. He's, he's doing what God's told him to do. Amen? Amen? And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. So this is why I'm going back to the house of God because I remember 30 years ago when I was in need, when I was lonely and I was helpless and hopeless and banished from my life, running from my life. I remember God met me there 30 years ago. 
And because of what God did for me in that time of distress, He came in in that time of distress in my life and He helped me. So I'm going back to that same place. I'm going to go back to the place where I first found God. I'm going to go back to the place where God met with me. I'm going to go back to the place when I was in a distressful situation and I found that God would help me there. That's where I'm going back. I'm going back to that place. And God was with me. God preserved me. Amen. So there's some things we need to bring with us when we come to the house of God. What has God done for you in the past? Are you thankful for what the Lord has done for you? Have you ever been in distress? Have you ever been stressed out? We're living in a time right now where it's stress. People are distressed. I, I'll be honest with you, church. You know, sometimes I have my times too. You know, I do. But I'll be honest with you, I've never seen a, a generation that, that comes to the house of God so depressed. I've never seen a generation that comes to the house of God, you know, and of course I've only been in one generation, mine, but. But as we progressively go through this generation, I'm starting to see people, it's, it's unusual. You know, normally people come to the house of God and, and they get what they need from the Lord and, and they walk in that victory for a long time. But I'm living in a time where I see people, they'll get a victory on Sunday and Wednesday, they're back down in the dumps again. Or the next Sunday, they're all depressed again. You know why? Because there's not an altar in your life. Or there, if there is an altar in your life, you just don't have the gratitude you should have. You don't have the thankfulness you should have. Hallelujah. But I'm not going to tell you to stay home because that's not going to do any good. You get yourself to the house of God and when you get to the house of God, build an altar unto the Lord and be thankful for what God has done in your life. Because you could be dead right now. And I could be dead. But in my time of distress, God helped me. When I was going through difficult situations, God helped me. And this is what comes back to Jacob. He said, I was in distress. But I want to go back where God helped me at that time. And not only that, but he says, God was with me in the way which I went. God kept His promise. God was with me. God was protecting me. Are you thankful today for what the Lord has done? I'm thankful. So when you come to the house of God, Bethel, build an altar, worship God, be thankful for what the Lord has done because God is the one who helped you in a time of distress. God has been with you, preserving you and protecting you all these years. We need to be thankful. We need to have gratitude. Amen. We don't need to come to the house of God. Lord, help me. Help me. I need to be like David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. I'm going to get my soul, my emotions, and I'm going to say it to you. You're going to bless the Lord today. You're going to worship God today. God's been good to me. God's been good to you. We got a lot to be thankful for. Amen. So Jacob is reminding the people that are with him what God has done for them in times of distress and how God was with them in, in the way. That's why he said, I got to get back there. I got to get back. I got to have a personal revival. Verse 2, the Bible says, and Jacob in his preparation, 
And he says, Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him. So we're going back to church. Going back to the house of God. When we get there, we're going to build an altar. We're going to worship God. Amen. Just remind you of all the Lord has done for us. But we need to prepare before we go. So he said, this is what we're going to do. He said, put away the strange gods. And we think about that with these little idols, these little icons that, you know, Rachel had with her and, and the idols that they picked up while they were in Shechem, you know, and no telling how many idols were in that household and how many people in that household had idols in them. And Jacob knew it all along. Jacob knew the idols were there all along. When he got ready to get right with God and go back to the house of God and build an altar to God, he said, we've got to do some repenting here. We've got to get rid of some strange gods. And I don't think any of you have little icons in your house, do you? Little idols? None? No. But what about philosophies? Amen. What about, what about your thinking? Things that you think that are contrary to the Word of God. Ways in your life that are contrary to the Word of God. The way that we live is contrary to the Word of God. Those can be idols in our life. When you come to the house of God, you know, we need to prepare. We're going to the presence of the Lord right now. We're going to, to the house of God. We're going to build a Lord. We're going to worship. But before I go, I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to get rid of the idols out of my house. Get rid of false gods out of my house. Get rid of philosophies out of my mind. Thoughts out of my mind. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And he goes on and he says, and be clean. So we're going to clean up. We're going to take a bath. Now I know this is speaking of ceremonial cleansing. That he wants to be right with the Lord, you know, spiritually speaking. Practically speaking though, you know, when we go to the house of God, we go to church. Amen? And, and I think when we go to church, we ought to clean up. Say praise the Lord. I think we ought to take a bath. I know you want me to go really deep here in spiritual revelation, you know. Uh, I believe that's in the passage. But, you know, sometimes just practically going to the house of God just simply means get up and take a bath, brush your teeth, comb your hair. Oh, y'all didn't want to hear that one, did you? They said, well, everybody, you know, we should accept everybody just the way they are. Well, it doesn't hurt for you to take a bath. Amen? You're going to church, clean it up. Hallelujah. I personally believe that men ought to be, you know, clean, shave it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You ought to be looking good. And I don't say you got to wear a thousand dollar suit every time you come to church. Praise the Lord. But... Get the best you got because you're going to church. I'm going to church, see? Maybe I'm just old-fashioned that way. You know, I'm 52 years old and I'm old. Maybe I'm just old-fashioned. But I was taught by my mentor, Brother Dice, who's going to be with the Lord. He says, when you go to the house of God, you dress like you're going to the house of God. You don't dress... Now, no, don't get offended. I'm trying to help you here. If you go to the house of God, you're not going to the gym. When you go to the house of God, you're not going to the, the, the barn. You're not going to go in there where the chickens are and the, the, the pigs are, you know. You're going to the house of God. And that's something that was put in me by, the, by Brother Dice, you know. He used to tell us, 
And you know, and that's why I say apologize sometimes when I take my jacket off. Because he used to tell us when you're preaching the Word of God, he said, you don't take your jacket off. You leave your jacket on. But sometimes I get so hot, you know, I'm about to, anyway. But I, that was put in me. You know, that, that when I go to the house of God, I'm going to look like I'm going to church. I'm going to look like when I got up that I took the time to say, I'm going to go meet with God. You know, I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to comb my hair. I'm going to shave. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to floss my teeth. Amen. I'm going to find, find something decent to wear because I'm going to go to church today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How many of y'all believe that? Am I just am I you know, out of touch, out of tune now? I mean, I'm sorry, but I've seen some preachers and I know they're trying to be cool and they're trying to fit into the culture, you know? And they're wearing blue jeans on the platform preaching, no tie, nothing like that. And I know, you know, that's supposed to be the, the end thing right now. You know, the no tie, the no... You know, they're just trying to be cool, try to fit in. I'm sorry. And that probably doesn't bother you, but that bothers me. Amen? Because we're going to a place, and when we go to a place where I believe God's going to be, I want to dress like I'm going to a place where God's going to be. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. Would you give Him some worship? My son came from, he's doing driver's ed, you know. And he'll be doing that for about three weeks. So he, he gets out of driver's ed around, you know, seven o'clock on Wednesday. So, uh, he took his, church clothes with him I'm going to try to change into church clothes before he came to church after driver's ed and uh, he forgot his dress clothes his church clothes in the in the vehicle and he came in he's wearing jeans and everything you know you know where he sat Wednesday night not y'all on the back pew that's fine y'all are good back there but he was hit right there on that back pew you know why because he didn't have the right clothes on. You say, well, you're supposed to just let people come as they are. That's fine, but I'm just telling you, we know when we can do better. My wife said, you know, after we were driving home, said, you know why he sat on the back view? Because he, he was wearing jeans to church. Well, I feel it right now, man. Well, I know y'all probably said, no big deal. He took driver's ed as, you know, one of them things. And But my problem is, if he comes in wearing jeans, the rest of your kids are. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe some of you have these same type of feelings in your heart about the way your children should dress, so maybe not. But, you know, I don't want to, to give the impression by my own children that it's okay for you to come sloppy to church. I don't want that. Hallelujah. And I understand on the Wednesday night some of y'all are working, but I don't want you to come to church even if you're in your oils. But I'm just saying, if you got the time and you got the opportunity, don't give yourself an excuse to come any old way to the house of God. I'm going to church. Jacob said, we're going to Bethel. You know, we can read into this thing. We said just a spiritual thing. No, Jacob was saying, you clean up on the outside. You take a bath. Hallelujah. How many of y'all took a bath this morning? No, or at least last night. At least last night. I mean, it was Saturday. You don't take a bath any other time of the week. It's Saturday. You got to take a bath on Saturday. 
I mean, even Curly Joe knows that. One of the stooges, you know. Praise the Lord. So, you get what I'm saying? Come on, man. You know, sometimes we as a church, we get a little sloppy, don't we? Why Bible Center Fellowship? You go to some churches right now, and again, it's, it's not about, you know, the clothes and everything, and I know sometimes, but we can go the other way. You know, we can get so focused on the clothes that we wear and everything, and it's the wrong in the wrong direction. But you can go the other way, where you don't care anymore about way, the way you look when you go to church. Well, we we need to find a balance here. When you go to church, remember, I'm going to the house of God. I'm gonna clean myself up. Hallelujah. I'm gonna take a bath. Praise the Lord. I'm gonna. And he goes on. He even says this. He says, "Change your clothes. Change your clothes." Somebody say, pray. You know, see, this is really making you feel uncomfortable right now. And I'm going to go, I'm going to quit the church. Well, you know what you're going to find? You go to some other church, they're probably dressing better than you are right now. Amen? So I'm not overboard here. I'm just trying to tell you to come on, let's go. Let's get this together. We're going to the house of God. Amen? If you go to the gym, you wear gym clothes. Right? You go to church, you wear church clothes. So my son sat on the back back pew because we don't want to give people the impression it's okay to come in jeans and just any old way to church. Hallelujah. Somebody say, don't get offended in me. You may you don't know it, that's fine. But we need to make some changes. Hallelujah. I'm going to the house of God. So I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to change my clothes. Praise the Lord. Now obviously, probably these clothes were not modest. They, the attire wasn't right. In modesty, you know, they just came from Shechem, a bunch of idolatry there and, and loose morals and immodest dressing, you know. And I'm sure it has modesty uh, in it, but it also just simply changed your clothes. We're going to church. Put your Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on. Hallelujah. Put you a tie. It don't hurt you to put a tie on. I know you call it a monkey suit. I don't know who in the world came up with that monkey suit thing. This don't look like a monkey suit. Do I look like an ape? I don't see no fur on me. I'm not wearing that monkey hat. Who came up with a monkey suit deal? Who came up with that? This is not a monkey suit. Praise the Lord. You can travel the world. Man, you go to Taiwan. You go to Zambia. Uh, people that are successful, they dress just like this. They don't call them monkey suits. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Come on, church. We need to raise it up just a little bit. Hallelujah. Say, thank you, Jesus. By the way, look at your neighbor and say, you're looking good. And again, if you can't say it, say, look at him again and say, I'm hoping for change. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Right? See, it needs a little practical preaching this morning. Amen. You know, I know you want to go to the heavens and all of that, praise the Lord, but what about practical preaching? So when I come to the house of God, I want to, I want to dress appropriately, you know? And uh, obviously, if you're a woman, you dress like a woman. If you're a man, you dress like a man. And if you don't, then that's an abomination to God Almighty. The Bible said, Deuteronomy 22.5, it's an abomination to God Almighty for a man to dress like a woman 
or a woman to dress like a man. God hates it. Amen. So when you praise the Lord, when you come to church, we want to be able to tell you that you're a, you're a woman or a man, whichever one you are. Hallelujah. <laughs> Does this help anybody? Amen. Come on, y'all. We can do better, can't we? Say, so we can do better. You say, well, nice clothes are so expensive. Well, wait till they go on 75% off. Praise the Lord. You don't have to go out there and play, pay for it with its full price. What is 75% off? Hallelujah. Right, Bishop? Yes, sir. Amen. Just to be, you know, it's all right to be, you know, frugal. Amen. Okay, so, hallelujah. I like this kind of preaching. This is good. This makes me feel good. I'm not, you know, flying around with wings like an angel, but it's making me feel good because I think I'm helping you today. You know how it is. We could all get sloppy, can't we? But Jacob said, no, we're going to the house of God. We're going to build an altar when we get there. God's done some great things for us. He's helped us. He's been with us uh, through the years. We're going to go to the house of God. We're going to clean ourselves up. We're going to put away the idols out of our life. We're going to change our clothes. Hallelujah. Amen. Verse 3, again, he reiterates what God has done. He's so full of gratitude, so thankful to God. So when you come to the house of the Lord, remember, don't just put physical, nice physical clothes on and, and take care of yourself physically. When you come to the house of God, make sure your attitude's right. Make sure when you come in here, you look at and you thank God for what He's done for you. Say, thank Lord, I can't wait to go to church today. It's not a drudgery to me. It's not something I just have to do. So I can't wait to go to church today, God, because you've been good to me. You gotta, and you gotta have an attitude change. You gotta, you gotta, you know, think differently than the way you're thinking. How many of y'all are glad to be in the house of the Lord? David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. A doorkeeper. I'd rather be a porter. That's how important the house of God was to David. It's important to me. It's important to you. Amen. When you come, have the right attitude. Have the right spirit. I don't want to have to deliver you from that spirit every time you come in here. Amen. Praise the Lord. You say, Pastor, you're not showing compassion to me. I need some compassion, Pastor. You're not compassionate enough for me today. Come on, man. It's time for you to make some changes. Jacob said, we need to make some changes. We need to prepare. We're going to church today. We're going to go in there. We're going to be dressed right. We're going to be looking right. Our attitude's going to be right. We're going to be thankful. We're going to have gratitude in our heart for what God has done. You want something to change in your life? You're going to have to change. Jacob, looking back at all the mess he's been through for the last 10 years, one problem after another, and he got to a place that said, we're going to make some changes here. We're going to go to a place that's, that's more spiritual than where we are right now. We're going to get rid of the idols. We're going to clean ourselves up. We're going to change our clothes. We're going to go into the house of God with some gratitude and remember what God did for us through the years. Because we're tired of living like this. Jacob was tired of living like this. He was tired of living a life that was constantly failed up. 
But if he doesn't make the changes, if he doesn't go where God told him to go, if he doesn't make that change to a higher spiritual level in his life, he doesn't make these conscious decisions of preparing, he's going to stay in his fouled up life in his trouble. You can make a change with God's help. I'm going to tell you again, you can make a change with God's help. You can't do it without Him. You can't do it by yourself. But with God, you can make a change with God's help. If you listen to God and go where God tells you to go, and when you go, prepare to go. And be thankful when you get there instead of sitting in church all morning. You know, feeling sorry for yourself and why you don't have this and why you don't have that. I've seen people that come to church and all they do is sit around and, you know, with their face down because of what they don't have. And I look at their kids. Their kids are dressing in some of the nicest clothes anybody. Now, what's wrong with you? And I'm supposed to say, what's wrong with you? But I say, what's wrong with you? Amen. What's going on, man? You know, I, can you imagine the Father? I'm talking about Jesus walking down the aisles and looking at you, but maybe looking at me. So, like, look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at the nail prints in my feet. I did that for you. And we come in like we do sometimes. I'm not getting on to you. I'm trying to help you. What more could Jesus do for you? What more could He do for me? Then He's already done. He's got to come to church. At the, you know, when He comes to church, sometimes I don't even think He wants to come to church. But I'm not about Jesus. If he does, he's trying to get in because you got him locked out. But I, I, how many times the Lord walks by us and looks, he looks at us? And I know, well, I got Jesus in me. Well, yeah, he's everywhere. He's not just in you. And he looks at you. He's going, look. Look at what I did for you. And then all the promises he gave us. He said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. And we can't lift up our head. I, I personally believe, and I love you, and I'm just preaching a practical message as I feel led of the Holy Ghost. I don't have it in my notes, by the way. I don't, you know. But I don't have any of this in my notes. I'm just preaching some practical things to you today. Sometimes we come to church, we don't, we're not acting right. You need to be thankful for what the Lord has done. That's why I love to see new converts come into the house of God. You know, they don't mind always just have it exactly right in every area and every detail. You don't either. And I remind you, I don't either. I don't always have it exactly right in every detail. But you get a new convert, man, and somebody just came off the streets or whatever and God's done great things for them. They come in, they're happy. They're worshiping God, you know. They're thankful to the Lord. Then they walk by you and look at you. And you got that old religious, sour religious spirit. Amen. Reminds you of the story of the, the little boy, his grandfather, and the donkey. Y'all know that story? Grandfather had a donkey. He took his grandson out to see the donkey. 
And the donkey was so sad, standing in the field, so sad. And the little boy asked his granddaddy, he says, is that donkey a Christian too? You know? Man. What do you want? What do you want? Jesus, Jesus has given you everything. He, he is the altar. He is your sacrifice. He's the one that paid the ultimate price. God help me. You know, the problem is not with Jesus. I'm just going to tell you that. And the problem is not with this church. The problem is with ourselves. We got a problem with ourselves. And we don't want to admit it. We want to play the blame game, point the finger at everybody else. But it's not everybody else's problem. It's not God's problem. It's not the church's problem. I got the problem. I just need to stand up and lift up my hands and say, It's me, oh God. It's me, oh God. Standing in the need of prayer. I don't need to come to the house of God and say, It's her, oh God. It's her, oh God. It's me, oh God. It's me, oh God. I've got the problem. It's me, oh God, standing in the need of prayer. I'm a mess. But I made up my mind. I'm coming to church today and I'm going to make some changes. I made up my mind I, with the help of God, prayer to God, with the church of God, with an altar in my life. Hallelujah. I'm going to make some personal changes. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to tell my family I'm the spiritual leader of my house. As a man, I'm the spiritual leader of my house. And I'm going to tell my family, we're going to church today and we're going to make some changes. And we're going to prepare. We've been doing this the wrong way. It's not working. But with God's help, I said, I believe we can make a change. Amen? Isn't God good? He's a wonderful God. God said unto Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel. And that's what he's going to do. You know, it's a mercy of God that God spoke to him again. It's the mercy of God Almighty that God spoke to him again. Do you realize when he was in Padanaram, when he was with Laban, you don't have a record of Jacob ever building an altar. That's 20 years. And then ten more years in Shechem out of the will of God. And you don't have a record of him building an altar. Now he says, I'm building an altar. I'm going to make some changes. The fact that God would come to him and speak to him again, that's the mercy of God. The grace of God Almighty. That God would come and talk to me again. He doesn't have to talk to me. Amen? Somebody say praise the Lord. You've been giving God a cold shoulder for so long? What if God gave you a cold shoulder? Are you with me today? But He comes and He talks to you again. And He talks to you again. That's the mercy of God. I don't deserve Him coming to talk to me again. The fact that He came and He talked to Jacob again after so many years of Jacob doing his thing. Not that God wasn't with him, but he, I'm talking about talking to him. He came and talked to him again. I'm thankful when God talks to me. It means something. 
Some of y'all believe y'all can make some changes with the help of God. How many God has already helped you? Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. God has helped me. Amen? But you have to prepare to make the changes in your life. And what did his family do? The Bible says, verse 4, They gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And I told you last Sunday night that those earrings are a symbol, a symbol of their worship to strange gods. I told you last Sunday night that in, in Satanism, earrings are a symbol of, of your allegiance to Satan. That you, that you are a servant of Satan. Amen? There's something to this. They got rid of the strange gods, got rid of the earrings, gave them to Jacob. The Bible says he took them and he buried them at that oak there in Shechem. Put them in the ground. Hallelujah. Say amen. Just bury them. You got some things you need to bury. Just bury them. Don't leave them out where you can see them all the time. You need to bury them. You need to dig a hole. Somebody get a shovel. Get a spiritual shovel and start digging. Find yourself an oak somewhere and dig a hole and throw those earrings in there. Throw those false gods in there. Cover them up. Be done with them. Walk off. Amen. You need to bury some stuff. You carry, carrying stuff for so long. It's time for you to bury it. Say praise the Lord. You know, after I got through preaching that Sunday night, one young lady came up to me and, you know, I, I give people space as a pastor. I give them space to grow and, you know, new, new converts and to grow in the things of holiness, you know. And, uh, not long ago, I felt led of the Lord. I felt the Lord, God was talking to me about this young lady. I went to her and I said, you know, Said you're 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 wearing some things right now that you know it's not not the right thing to do, not the right thing for you to to wear these. And uh, you know what she did? She didn't get an attitude and quit the church. She got she took them off. Now I didn't do that. You know the first week she was here, <laughs> but you know after a while you start seeing you, they need a little help. So I went to help her. She took them off. And then, and then she came to me after I said that Sunday night. And, and she, she was thankful. She told me she was thankful for that word. Hallelujah. She, she looked at me. She said, Pastor, she says, I'm trying. I said, I know you are. See, but that word did something for her because she, she took them off and maybe not didn't totally understand why she took them off. You know, the pastor told her she needed to. And now when she heard the word of God herself, she came up, she shook my hand. She said, I'm thank, thank you. I'm trying. Thank you. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I said, I appreciate that. Because sometimes people don't know what the Bible says about certain things. You know? And they have you, brothers and sisters, as examples when they, and that's why it's important for you and I to dress the way we should dress 
you know, prepare ourselves and look the way we should look when we come to church because there's people looking at us. There's people looking at you sisters. You preach louder than this preacher could ever preach. My wife, when she stands up here, brothers and sisters, she stands up here and you see her. Are you with me today? My wife is preaching to you louder than I could ever preach because she's telling all of you, this is what we believe. And when new people come to the house of God and they look at you, sister, they say, yeah, this is what we believe. Hallelujah. And someday, that's my goal. Someday I'm going to be just like her. Are you with me here today? You're making a difference. The preacher's not the only one preaching. You're making a difference. You are epistles known and read of all men. When people see you, not just in church, but they see you out in that world, I promise you, they know if you're a believer or not. It's not just by what you talk like. It's the way you dress. It's the way you look. It's the way you carry yourself. Are you here today? Your epistles known and read of all men. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe in Him. Are y'all with me? So I appreciate you. I appreciate you when you live holy. I've got convictions in my life. Are y'all here? Look at my wife. My wife has convictions. Praise the Lord. So you're, you're preaching louder messages than I could ever preach. Amen. Brother Dice would go and preach. He used to preach for R.E. Johnson a lot. And uh, I don't know if we got any tapes in the library of R.E. Johnson or not, but if you ever get a chance to listen to some of his messages, he's an old preacher. I don't know, he's not alive anymore, but I don't think he is. And anyway, he'd go preach for R.E. Johnson and men like that. And he, Brother Dice would get up just to preach the Word of God and There'd be changes, you know, that take place in the people's life. And those preachers that he'd preach for say, you know, one of them told him, said, the reason why you make a difference in people's lives is because you have conviction in your life. When you stand up and you preach things, you're not just preaching the Word. He said, when you preach, you have conviction. And because you have those conviction, it changes people's lives. It's not just about me standing up here and, and giving you the Word of God, which that's enough. But when I preach it, do I have conviction? Do I believe it or do I just preach it? Some people just preach it, but they don't believe it. I don't just preach it. I believe what I'm preaching. And that conviction, that conviction will change a person's life. What impacted Jesus' generation was a man by the name of John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus. That man was a man of conviction. When he preached, he preached with conviction. And the, it, with, because he was a man of conviction, it brought the people under conviction. And revival would break out, not just because of what he said, but because of the conviction of heart in the man's life. He had a relationship with God. Conviction is what makes a difference. people look at your life and they see the conviction that you have you're preaching louder than your pastor 
And I thank God for you. I said, I thank God for you. It's awesome. We need, we need conviction in this hour. We, we need people in the church house that have conviction. You have conviction today? Conviction. I have conviction not to do this. I have a conviction to do this. I have a conviction not to do this. Did the pastor tell you not to? No, I just have a conviction. i got my own personal convictions. There's just some things I can't do. Some places I can't go. Why, we do. That's you. But I've got a conviction. And that conviction will carry on. And it will influence other people's lives. The Bible said Jacob told his family what they were going to do. But the Bible says the family brought the strange gods. The family brought the earrings. His conviction did something to change his family. Men, we, we, ought to, we need to be spiritual leaders in our house. We need to have some conviction in our life. Our wives should see some conviction in me. They should see some conviction in you. There's just some things that, that are sacred to God. I'm not going to let certain things in my house. Do you understand? So I have a conviction in my life. It's not just about what we say. It's about how we live. Conviction. John the Baptist came preaching. When he preached, he's such a man of conviction, he changed his generation. He put those people under conviction when he preached to them. Hallelujah. In our generation, I'm just preaching by the Holy Ghost. I'm not preaching from my notes. I'm not... I, I don't try to preach from notes anyway, but I'm just telling you, I'm preaching by the Holy Ghost. If you and I are going to impact a generation, especially this one, we've got to be people of conviction. Me and you have to have some conviction in your life. Some, something your wife can look up to. Said, you're a man of God. I want to, I want to follow you. I want to go to church with you. Jacob was a man of conviction in his whole family as a result of his conviction to God made a change. But they made a change. It wasn't just Jacob that made a change. His whole family, his whole home made a change. You want your, you want your home to change? You want your family life to change? It starts with you, husband. You are the leader of your house. You should be. If you're not, then God will use your wife. But I feel like the Word of God today is talking to us. Make some changes. Come on, church. Anybody here want to make some changes with the help of God? You're tired of the fouled up life. You're tired of living the mess. You're tired of all of that stuff. Well, then don't listen to the lies of the devil that tells you you can't change. Don't listen to those lies, brothers and sisters. Don't listen to him when he tells you it's always going to be this way. You can make some changes today that will make a difference. And it starts with a little old word that's not used very much in religious circles anymore. Conviction. 
Conviction will make the change. It'll make a difference. Hallelujah. You might say end up saving your family if you get some conviction like Jacob. Jason, I finally got my I'm getting myself together here. We're gonna get our family together. If you if you'll get yourself where you need to be, you might save your family. Anybody here want something different? I want something different. Yeah, well, okay, Pastor. Yeah, you know, the enemy's told me I nothing gonna change and okay, so I'm I'm gonna quit fighting and I'm yeah. You can't quit fighting. Brother Jonathan Limbs, let me tell you something, man. It's not always a heaven. You know, I really do try to prepare when I preach. I really do spend the time in the Word of the Lord to bring you the Word of God. Spend a lot of time in preparation. But, but you can spend all, you can spend forever in preparation. You know, preparing. And that's important. But if you don't have conviction, you're not going to change anybody's life. You preachers after you feel called to preach, one thing, if you could ever get conviction. I've, I've heard some old country preachers, man. Brother Dice used to say they couldn't preach their way out of a paper sack, a wet paper sack. They didn't have that skill, you know. They didn't. Brother Dice was a, was a teacher of the Word of God. He was my mentor, but... There's some preachers that he, they, they couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper sack. But they had conviction. And because they had conviction, even though they couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper sack, and they couldn't tell you a lot about the Bible maybe, but they had conviction and it changed people's lives. They stood behind that pulpit and the power of God would hit them. The power of God would move in that church. Why? Because that person that was preaching had some conviction, had some values, had a walk with God, and it impacted the service. They might not have preached, had a lot of words to say, but you could just feel the power of God, the conviction in their life. Jacob's conviction changed his whole home. Years and years ago, I remember going to a conference. An old preacher named Brother Kilgore. Old holiness preacher. He was standing there all white-haired, silver-haired, whatever you want to call it. Old preacher. Pastored in Houston for years. That man... I'm, I'm not. I'm not making this up. I'd see that man standing on the platform, and I was just a young man then, not pastor in any church. He just stand on that platform, and because I'd heard him preach before, I knew what he was about. I knew what kind of man he was. He stand on that platform, and I'd sit there in that pew, and I'd just look at that man. Tears start running down my face. Because I knew that man had a walk with God. His daddy had the kind of walk with God that there was a lake that had all kinds of water marks in it. 
His daddy had such a powerful walk with God. He put his, got into that water. And all those water moccasins took off. They never saw a water moccasin again in that lake. Brother Kilgore, his son, gave that testimony himself. I'm not making that up. His son told the story. That's because those old preachers, they had some conviction about them. They had a walk with God about them. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. You hear them preach a lot of times, you're not going to hear the most beautiful oratory. But when they preach, things happen. God moved. That's what we need. Jacob's walk with God at this point impacted his family. To the point, I'm going to make some changes. And as a result of their purity, as a result of their desire to make those changes, to be right with God, to get where they needed to be in God, the Bible says that they journeyed terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob because of their purity. That purity created power. That conviction created power. And they started walking, man, the enemy. So we're not going to mess with them. The protection and the power of God was on their life. See, you don't... You can talk to me all day long. You, you can bring me all of your if, ands, and buts, and you can bring with me, to me all the reasons why, you know, we, we don't have to do holiness anymore. You, you, can, you can bring it all to me, all your arguments. But I want to tell you something. I've seen it work. It works for me. It works for my, for my family. It works for this church. Are y'all with me? You, you've come too late to try to change my convictions. I've got convictions in here. Oh, this works. I said, this works. And the enemy is defeated. He's defeated in my life and your life. Praise the Lord. And I'm just, I'm going to be honest with you again. You, you and I need to stop pointing the finger and blaming everybody else. How many of you lift your hand and say, it's me, oh God. It's me, oh God, standing in need of prayer. I need some convictions in my life. And obviously, you know, as we mature, maybe the methods change. Maybe the methods, but not the doctrine. Not the doctrine. And so the Bible says, So Jacob came to Luz, which is the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, and he had all the people that were with him. Hallelujah. He built there an altar and he called the place thereof El Bethel. Notice he went to Bethel, but now instead of just calling it Bethel, he calls it El Bethel. The God of the house of God. Yes. Amen. See, to him before, 
He said, God was in this place and I knew it not. Surely this was the house of God. But now He's gone through some things. How many of y'all been through some things in your life? So now when you come to church, it's not just the house of God, but it's the God of the house of God. I'm seeing beyond the house of God. I'm seeing beyond the place to the person. It's not just the house of God to me. God is there. It's hell, Bethel, the God of the house of God. He's been through some things. It's been 30 years since he's been in this place. Hallelujah. It's the God of the house of God. He said, because their God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. And, and at that time, the Bible says, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. There's three funerals in this chapter. And the first one is... Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dies. Now, Rebecca was Jacob's mama. Rebecca was Jacob's mama. Jacob never saw his mother again alive on this earth. And at some point, Rebecca, Rebecca's nurse, Deborah, joined Jacob and was with Jacob. Said no to Esau. Said no to Esau. And joined Jacob and had the same opinion of Jacob that Rebecca, Jacob's mother, had. Deborah said, I want to be with Jacob. So now we see Deborah. She's outlived her uh, Rebecca. <coughs> now she's with Jacob and she dies. And she had great respect. She was respected by Jacob. The Bible says they buried her there at Bethel under an oak and they called it Alon, Alalon Bakuth, which means the oak of weeping. Shows you how important that woman of God was to that family. You understand? I will say it again. Deborah was the nurse of Rebecca. She's now with Jacob. When she dies... Her value was so great. She was so respected by that family that they called the place where they buried her the Oak of Weeping. It impacted their life. In verse 9, And God appeared unto Jacob again. Say again. 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 By grace. When he came out of Paranaram and blessed him, and God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. God said, I'm going to remind you of something. Remember when you were wrestling there at the, the Jabbok, the stream that feeds, the tributary that feeds into the Jordan, you were wrestling with that angel, the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord was wrestling with you there at that proceeding place, that flowing place where your thigh was dislocated. Your name was changed from Jacob, that that manipulator, that supplanter, that liar. God comes to Jacob and says, just want to remind you, don't go by your old name. Don't live the way you used to live. 
You've been changed. You're not Jacob anymore. What is your name? I'm Jacob. I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. No, no, no. You're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. You're arranged by God. You're in the order of God. You're under the command of God. You're conquered by God. You're a prince. You've got power with God. Don't forget the change that's been made. There's been a change, Jacob. You're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. God said in him, I'm God. See, listen, you, how many of y'all want to, sometimes we all do want to lapse back into the old self, you know? I've got a name change. You need to be reminded, you've got a name change. You've been called by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God said in him, verse 11, I am El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. I'm God Almighty. El Shaddai in the Hebrew. See, Jacob didn't know God by that name up to this point. And when he decides to have a personal revival in his life and make those changes and his family makes those changes and they start moving and God starts reminding him, you're, you're not Jacob, you're Israel. And then God says, I'm going to give you a new revelation of myself. Something about me you never knew me before until now. And that's what you and I can expect when we start moving where we're supposed to move into God and obeying God and making the changes we need to make. God will reveal Himself to you in a way that you did not know Him before. Jacob didn't have this revelation that he was El Shaddai. He didn't have this revelation that God was the blessed one. Not physically. God's not physically breasted. It's a spiritual figure of speech where He says, I'm El Shaddai. I'm the all-sufficient one. I'm the nurture, nourisher of your life. I give you nourishment. I take care of you. I am all-sufficient. I'm everything you need. I'm everything you need. I'm like a, like a mother who takes care of its baby and nourishes its baby. I'm like the breasted mama. Not talking physically. Jacob never knew. He didn't know God that way. God revealed Himself. Y'all want to know more about God? You want to know God? I want to know God. I don't want to just know about God. I want to know God. God's so good. When we start moving and make those changes on a personal level that please God, He gives you new revelation of of himself you didn't know before. That's the way he just a God that keeps revealing himself all the time. Hallelujah. The Bible talks about the exceeding greatness of his power to us word that believe. The exceeding greatness of his power. You thought he was great last week. He's greater today. You thought he was great yesterday. He's greater today. The exceeding greatness of his power to us word that believe. He doesn't diminish. He doesn't get tired. He is an ever-increasing God. You get tired, I get tired. He doesn't. I'm all you need. He said, I'm God Almighty. El Shaddai. And because of that, be fruitful and multiply. And obviously, church, do you think he's talk, God is talking to him about having more kids? At this point, 
He's already. So then what God's talking to him at this point about is be productive. Come on. Don't be lazy. Lazy people are not productive people. God, be fruitful and multiply. Again, he's not just talking about children. He said, you need to have a productive life. Look at your name and say, have a productive life. There's no reason why you shouldn't. He's El Shaddai. He's all sufficient. He's everything I need. And the company of and a company of nations, a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. I want you to hold on to that. Because something is going to begin to drive this man. This man is not even going to be satisfied with Bethel. He's not even going to be satisfied with El Bethel. He's not even going to be satisfied with just El Shaddai. Something's going to compel Jacob further than even that. Something's going to compel Jacob from more than just the house of God, dimension one. Something's going to compel Jacob to something more than just knowing about God of the house of God. Dimension two. Something's going to compel Jacob into a third dimension. And that is get to Ephrata. Where God is God all by Himself. Where God steps in and does things for you all by Himself. It's, it's not just... The house of God is not just knowing about the God of the house of God. It's about when God start, steps in and does it all by Himself. That's the third dimension. That's the dimension where you can enter into His rest. In the New Testament, you have faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Threes. Go through the New Testament and you'll see these threes constant. Some 30, some 60, some hundredfold go through that new testament you'll see those dimensions three dimensions okay and so what we see jacob he's moved from the house of god first level first dimension second dimension he says el bethel the god of the house of god but when he goes to effort it's the third dimension it's what god will do all by himself and I'm going to show it to you because when this man Jacob is compelled to go to Ephrata why why if you've been to Bethel the house of God and then you got this revelation he's the God of the house of God and you got this revelation he's all sufficient why do you keep going what is driving Jacob what is compelling him to go forward what is creating this divine discontentment in him? What is it? He doesn't even know. It's God all by himself. He's being compelled on the inside. I've got to get to Ephrata. And so the Bible says he leaves Bethel, which he called El Bethel, 
And he says, are y'all with me? God said, I'm going to give you the land. Land belongs to Israel. In verse 13, God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in that place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. He poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of that place Bethel. But he's not content to stay there. Are you with me? There's another dimension he needs to go to. See, if you can understand me, everybody with me? Come on, stay with me for a few more minutes. I'm almost done. If you can understand me, a lot of people, or a lot of Christians are just content to be the Christians who go to church. There's other Christians who are not content just to go to church. There's some Christians that want to know about the God that's in that church. About the God. And then there's some Christians that are not content with even that. They want a throne room encounter. They want a third dimension encounter where God moves all by Himself. There are dimensions in God. Grow up in Him which is the head. There's a growing up. You understand what I'm saying? Into headship. So something is driving Jacob. What is driving you? Why are you not content, Jacob, just to have the church or to know about the God that's in the church? What's driving you to go to Ephrata? And so the Bible says, watch this real carefully. They journeyed from Bethel and there was but a little way to come to Ephratah. Ephratah is the old name for Bethlehem. Why are you going there, Jacob? Why Ephratah? It's just a little way. And, in, and the way to Ephratah from Bethel is hard. Okay? Will you stay with me? All right. It's hard. It's rough. They're traveling Shechem. From Shechem up, you're going to Bethel. Go up to Bethel, a thousand feet. It rises in elevation, a thousand feet. And then from Bethel over to Ephratah, it is a very, very hard journey. It's difficult. And Jacob, his wife, the one that he loves more than anyone, is with child. The one that he loves more than anything in this world, Rachel, his beloved, is with child. And as they're traveling on that very, very hard, hard road, no doubt she's laying in that wagon. I don't see her riding a donkey or a horse or whatever at this point. She's on that, the back of that wagon and it's rough. And she's bouncing around. And no doubt because she's fixing to be with child that she's in labor at that moment. What are you doing, Jacob? Do you not see your beloved wife, the thing that means more to you in life than anything, that she's in labor? And yet you keep driving to Ephrata. You keep going. What are you doing, Jacob? What is driving you? What is compelling you? Why? Why? Are you doing this? 
And so the scripture says, as they make their, this little way from Bethel to Ephratah, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. It came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was departing in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow. That's what Rachel called him. Remember in the 30th chapter, she could have no children. She blamed Jacob. We went through that. And what did she say? She said, give me children or else I die. Give me children or I'll die. And what did God do? He gave her a Joseph. And after Joseph's born, his name means to add. She says, I want another son. And so God comes and answers that prayer and she is now with that other son. Hard labor. As her soul, as she dies, the, her soul departed from her. That baby's born in death. In her death. Before she dies, she looks at that midwife that's holding that baby in her arms and she says, call him Benoni, the son of my suffering. Jacob looks down and sees his beloved wife Rachel has died. He looks at her. He closes her eyes. He picks up that baby. He takes that baby out of the arms of that midwife. He lifts that baby up eight to ten pounds of wet flesh. And he says, no, his name will not be the son of my suffering. He will be Benjamin, the son of my right hand, or the son of power. He did that in faith. Do you know how much faith it would take to look at the thing you love the most in this world is gone? And you pick up that baby that she called the son of suffering. And you by faith says, no, Jacob said by faith. He's not going to be the son of my pain. He's going to be the son of power. The son of right hand, of my right hand. What kind of faith that takes. People of God, listen to me. Sometimes the thing that you love the most, you'll have to lose it to get something more. And when you are in that time of suffering and you want to call it Benoni, this is the, the son of my suffering, it's going to take a lot of faith when you're in that kind of pain to lift up that baby spiritually speaking and say, No! This is not going to be called the son of my suffering. By faith I say the son of my power!
He could have said, well, you know, Rachel called her, called him the son of my suffering, but no, nah, and that's what I'll accept. He said, no, by faith, Benjamin will become the son of my right hand, the son of power. What would, would compel this man to go to Ephrata? He loses the most important thing in his life. What he loves more than anything in order to get there. There's something driving him. He takes up that son and says, the son of power, Benjamin. Why, Jacob? Why Ephrata? We know Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. The prophet said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah. But the prophet has not said that yet. Jacob is not going by a prophetic word from the prophet Micah that Jesus will be born in that place. He's going there because something on the inside of him is telling him, you must go to Ephrata. You must go to Ephrata. You've got to get to Ephrata. You've got to go. You've got to go. And Jacob goes and goes and drives and drives. He loses the thing he loves the most to get something of more value. That is a Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus is going to be born there at that time. But something in him is telling him, you've got to get to that place. You have to take your sons there so their sons can have their sons there. Mm, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm trying to get you to understand something. He's going through things. He's going through this time in his life losing what he loves more than anything. Just because he's driven and doesn't even know why. There will be times in your life when you, are, you will be willing to go through things and experience great suffering and, and lose even the most important things in your life. Why? Because if I can just get where, if I can just take my sons, where my sons will have their sons, there will be a Jesus that will be born here. And so we see in the book of Ruth, as I come to a close, I want you to understand something today. Look in the fourth chapter of the, of the book of Ruth. I want you to understand something. There will be times in your life that you are willing to go to places that nobody understands why you would go there. There are times in your life where you will experience pain to get there. And nobody 
will understand why you're doing it. You may lose the most precious thing in your life doing it. And you might not even know why. Why are you going through what you're going through right now? The book of Ruth. That little book in the Bible. In the fourth chapter. Why did he go there? Why was he compelled? Ruth, the fourth chapter. There in Bethlehem, Ephrata. Verse 17 of chapter 4. The woman and the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And where did all this take place? In Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Bethlehem, Judah. Jacob had to go to Ephrathah so he could take his sons there so that the, his sons could have their sons there so that there would be an Obed who would have a Jesse who would have a David who is the son of David? Jesus. In the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verse 1, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of who? David. Matthew chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. Who? Israel. That's why Jacob said, I've got to get to Ephrathah. Because when I take my sons there, they will have their sons there. And there will be an Obed, and there will be a Jesse, and there will be a David who will give us a Jesus. In that same chapter, when Jesus is born, verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, in Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Rachel said, give me children or I die. And with the birth of this one, she died. Jacob now had taken his sons in the place where they could have their sons. 
so that there would be a generation of Jesus. So sometimes you go to places and you are willing to experience the suffering and the pain in your life and nobody else understands it because you want to give the world to Jesus. So you drive on to Ephrata. So there will be a rising up of your generation that will have a Jesus. This is the one overriding factor in my life that, that compelled me to go. And I'm, I'm not saying this for recognition. I'm saying this for emphasis. That compelled me to go to Zambia. This is the overriding factor right here. So that I could go there and plant a seed. So that I could give a people Jesus. And that's why Jacob went through what he went through and that's why Jacob had that divine discontentment and that's why he went on from Bethel, El Bethel, to Ephratah is because something was telling him I've got to get there. He didn't realize it. But Messiah, later the Jews would call him. They read their Bible. And when they read their Bible, they, they couldn't figure the prophets out because they would see a ruling Jesus or a ruling Messiah. A king. Son of David. King of Israel. King of who? Israel. They couldn't understand it. They'd read other passages like Isaiah 53 where it talked about Messiah would suffer. And they would come away from the Bible and the prophets and they would say there must be two Messiahs. There must be a Messiah ben Joseph or Messiah ben Yosef. Which means the, the Messiah that will suffer like Joseph. They would read the other prophets that speak of him ruling as a king. And they would say he's Messiah ben David. Messiah ben Judah. Messiah son of Judah. Messiah son of David. Ruling king. They didn't understand it. They would be in one. That the first time he would come, he would be the suffering Messiah. And the second time he would come, he would come as ruling king. Benoni, the son of my suffering. Benjamin, the son of my right hand. So there are things you, are, you will be willing to go through and places you will be willing to go. And it may cost you the thing that you love the most in your life. And you may not even know, Jacob didn't at that time, why you're going there. And why you're willing to go through that trouble. Let there be a Jesus rise up from your generation. Give the world a Jesus. 
That's why Jacob went there so that Jesus would be known as King of Israel. We stand. Father God, we thank you today for the opportunity to be in this place. Thank you for the opportunity, mighty God, that we might know you as the God of this place. But Lord, let us be a Christian that's desires to overcome the carnal, that's willing to push and go further and go through in order that somebody else may have Jesus. God, I pray for this church. I pray for myself. Let us be that kind of people. And as we see Jacob bury his wife there on the side of the road, making his way to Ephrata, as we see him put a pillar of stone over her grave, let us walk away from here thankful, Lord, today that he was willing to go even that far so that there would be a Jesus of Bethlehem Ephrathah. I pray, Father God, that something would grip my heart in this church a willingness to sacrifice, a willingness to go through things, a willingness to lay down selfishness. That Your kingdom may prevail. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word today. It challenged us to change. Challenged us to move. Challenged us to be the person that can have a generation rise up in them. So the world may have a Jesus. I thank you for this body of believers that are here today. Bless them, I pray, as we go from this place. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us renewed commitment, renewed desire to go all the way with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you lift your hands? I'm going to dismiss you as you worship Him. Would you lift your hands and tell Him thank you?